Bonjour. Konnichiwa. I am Frederic Wigolo, News Director of Belmont Media Center. And I'm Komako Akai Whitelaw, Citizen Journalist for BMC. Welcome to our new podcast series, Power of Music. What makes us musicians? What draws us into music? Those are the core questions we hope this podcast series answers. In this first season, we interview Powers Music School faculty members. We'd like to give special thanks to Kelly Weber and Gavin Farrell for their support. The production of our podcast incidentally coincided with the COVID-19 pandemic, which reminds us how music heals us, how music brings us joy, and how music brings us together. In this episode, Emotionally Connected, Ryan No, Director of Chamber Music and Trumpet Faculty at Belmont Powell's Music School, shares how the mind is important for playing great music. The story begins with Ryan No playing Pines of Rome by Respighi. Hi, my name is Ryan No. I am the director of chamber music at Power School of Music as well as on the trumpet faculty. I grew up in the Detroit area of Michigan. And at the end of my freshman year, the band director of the University of Michigan band program, H. Robert Reynolds, was retiring. So they had this big retirement concert And our band director in my high school recommended, hey, everyone should go to this concert and hear this great music and especially see this conductor conduct for the last time. And I definitely recall seeing my trumpet teacher being on stage crying near the end of the concert. And I was thinking, like, being that emotionally connected to something and feeling that is pretty amazing, I think. And so... That definitely was the start of, I want to be a professional musician in some regard. My family actually was not the most musical. In fourth grade, I believe, we read the book, Mr. Beethoven Lives Upstairs. And after reading that book, I recall going to the public library and trying to check out the album Symphony Number no. Nine by Beethoven, and remember thinking, "Oh, I want to hear Ode to Joy. I want to hear Ode to Joy." And so I put the CD in. I start at the beginning. I'm like, and I think, "Where's Ode to Joy?" But the piece is 90 minutes long, and Ode to Joy is way, way. And I, at the time in fourth grade, did not have the patience to sit there through all of that. And no one really knew in my family, like, "Oh, it's way later in the piece." <laughs>
when I first got my trumpet, it was at a rental night for the school where everyone shows up and you pick your instrument out and you get to take it home that evening. I recall picking it up, being in the car and getting it out while in the car and trying to play it while in the car because I just really wanted to make some noise on it already. I had an older cousin that had played trumpet. She was a high school student at the time and interested in music at the time. I had been taking piano lessons. She'd let me try to play it a little bit. And then the following fall, which was my sixth grade year, is when I started with trumpet. I took band and private lessons at the time. So when I was trying with my cousin, I recall specifically that it was very challenging to make a sound on it. And I, I feel like I was rather unsuccessful. It took a fair amount of tries to finally get some kind of sound on it. Um, and I think that's very common with many beginning students. They think it's potentially very easy to just make a sound, but it does take some fine tuning of what you need to do to try to make a sound on the trumpet for the first time. Brass instruments are the only ones that are using human flesh to make sound. Every other instrument is, you, you know, you're hitting something or you're taking a bow against a string. The vibration of our lips is what's making the sound. And so I actually equate us more to singers because they're the only instrument, you know, they are, they have to have their body. And I would say every musician has to utilize their body in a very effective way to make music great. I uh, have grabbed my cornet instead of my trumpet. This is actually this is what the 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 piece was written for, and this is what Arben performed on this solo, Carnival of Venice. And I'm just going to play the opening theme to it. For trumpet, it takes at least a year to get roughly an octave, C to C, so 12 notes total. And the other problem with only three valves and there being 12 different notes is that one valve combination can make many different notes. So if I demonstrate just no fingers down, open is what we call it, I can show you how many different notes I can play with that valve combination.
it's also challenging to make sure you play the right note. You can press the right fingers, but you might just hit it in a way that you end up on the lower one. I say to my students, what makes the music? This does not make the music. You make the music. And you truly have to know here what you want it to sound like. Beyond just the right notes and rhythms, the expression. And so if you know exactly what you want it to sound like, and you press the right fingers, you're much more likely to get the right note. But all professionals will tell you that you could very easily get the wrong note. And sometimes in very public performances. I guess the other, maybe I should use an analogy. I try to think of my music, I try to get it to be as clear as like the clearest HD 4K television there is on the market. <laughs> like you're watching a sports game and you see the blades of grass. Like that clear of a picture that you're watching, I want that in my mind for how the music sounds. If we go back to, you know, the 1990s televisions where it's, you know, it's, we can see what's going on, but it's fuzzy. If it's not that clear in my mind, if it's like the 1990s television, I can't truly get the music out as easily, which in turn affects things like confidence. If I don't truly know in my body what it's supposed to sound like, I'm going to walk into the performance kind of questioning, like, can I really do this? Do I really know what it sounds like? So it's to me, music ends up being a lot of mind games. And oftentimes, while yes, practicing the instrument is very important, it might be as much of just sitting and singing through your music and practicing mentally what it should sound like to truly get it to be really, really great. And so with that Pines of Rome excerpt, I've played that for 15 years at least now for many, many different trumpeters, different players, different, different people. So I have a very specific idea of how I want it to sound beyond just the right notes and rhythms. And it's... Pines of Rome, meaning the trees of Rome, that movement specifically is about the, um, uh, the catacombs. And so personally, I try to picture like a hillside as I'm playing that, that section of music. So, it, it, yeah, it is trying to get the, the mental thing to just come through on the instrument. And I often tell my students that's why we practice our fundamentals, because if I can't play a high note, or I, it's not the greatest, I'm not very likely to be able to play it in a piece of music, and thus the music can't truly jump off the page 
and be exciting to listen to. So this is Stravinsky's Petrushka, Ballerina's Dance. Yeah, with, with the emotional aspect, with band and with, I mean, if I think about more specifically about my private students, when they start learning a piece, they want to get the right notes and the right rhythms and all of that, for sure. I, I, and that's definitely what they need to do. But then we take a piece that the middle schoolers often do with, for trumpet, it's called La Casa meaning the house, and I tell them, what's the house? What, the piece is in three sections, tell me about this house that you're playing for, and the title's in Spanish, and the music is kind of minor, so what is this music meaning? And what part is this waltz that happens? Oh, it's a dance. Maybe there's a party going on. And so trying to play it that way. And I think those are the musicians that truly excel, that can get us those emotions, that dance feel, that sadness. That's really what the connection's about. And if we don't come up with those ideas or discuss them, in my opinion, music will just fall flat or it could just be done by a computer and thus people like me are out of a job. <laughs> people are still wanting to see live music. People still want to see the Boston Symphony. And why live music versus recorded music? Because you could go just sit at home and put an album on of that exact same piece that you're going to see and it'll be perfect and I think the imperfections the the people really going for it I really think of a time that I heard the Boston Symphony do also Sprux Zarathustra by Strauss and the principal trumpet has this part in the middle of the piece where he goes dun 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 hitting a high C and he really, really went for it. <laughs> and if he had gone, you know, dun 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 it just wouldn't have worked out probably. <laughs> and it wouldn't sound as exciting and things like that. And thus, people wouldn't want to go hear that anymore. But people still are here, going to hear those types of things all the time still. Well, not in this current climate, but... <laughs> Uh, I'm going to play a little bit of the Charlier number no. 6, which is one of the most popular etude books that trumpeters play from.
So right now during the pandemic, with minimal minimal performing opportunities, it is definitely a hole in uh, my life. It, you know, we practice, we continue to keep practicing, but the, often the question is, what are we practicing for? Well, I'm practicing to get better still. And with the students, for them, it can also be very challenging. Why am I practicing? Band isn't really happening. And so having motivation for them is also very challenging. And so I try to keep keep things going. I get new pieces. One big thing I will say is with the extra time, I'm getting to know new pieces that I had wanted been to be practicing. But because of having to practice for performances, I often, they got shelved, if you will. During the pandemic, I luckily have had a few performances, mostly just been brass quintet type stuff, which is good because I really, really, really enjoy brass quintet music. I feel it is, it can be very stressful to do just be a soloist and it can be very stressful to be an orchestral musician when you have to play as close to perfect as possible for those five, ten measures. With the chamber music, I feel like we're doing things, we get to pick the music we're doing, but we also get to be somewhat of soloists, we get to work together, make decisions together, be collaborative, and uh, make great music together. Personally, I'm one to enjoy more modern music. I feel like if we don't listen to or play the music that's going on right now, we won't keep progressing in classical music. And while we should hear the classics, Beethoven, Brahms, there are composers living right now and they should be able to make a living and they should be able to express what we are going through right now. I actually have a piece that I co-commissioned by a, a young composer who's in his 20s, who it's about life early on in the pandemic. Like the first movement is titled Chaos.
the the band program in my high school was very heavily um, pushed for marching band. And it was very well funded, primarily by fundraisers and things. So we would actually, with the marching band, be driven to northern Michigan for a week and do band camp. And we would just be on our own, rehearsing from the morning until you couldn't see the conductor's hands anymore. And then we would always have these bonding events after that. Events where the seniors would stand in front of a bonfire and say why they're choosing to do this. And really the goal was to connect the seniors to the other students, but primarily the freshmen. So you would always say like, these are my freshmen. These are my seniors. So those, the four year difference. And I think that was something that really drove me to teaching because we practiced so many hours that last performance of the year was always very, very emotional. And I recall saying, thinking to myself, being on those marching band fields for the last performance, like I need to try to remember this somehow. So I recall in my head saying, okay, I'm gonna take a photographic image in my brain right now of what things look like right now and try to remember that as long as I can. And as I taught, I did eventually teach marching band a little bit in Massachusetts for Randolph High School. And I would try to instill on into those students the same thing. Like this will potentially be the last performance you ever give as a senior, you band is done, this is the last one. And really with that, hoping that they will not play safe, really try to play soft, as soft as possible, as loud as possible, or, you know, play as well as they can for that last chance because they might never play their instrument again after band. When high stakes performances come up for my students, I try to talk about, like, this could be the last time you do this thing. And I actually felt that way early in the pandemic uh, I had, you know, one of my last performances and I thought this could be months, it could be a year. So I'm really just going to play. If I make mistakes, I make mistakes, but I'm really going to play to have fun here not just try to, I need to sound really good or something like that.
I would call myself just a freelance musician. I do solo stuff. I do chamber music. I play in orchestras. I teach. I direct chamber groups. I think being able to do all those different things can be very exciting and it's very nice week to week in a normal month that like, oh, I'm, I'm driving down to Plymouth, Massachusetts to play a concert down there. The next week I'm playing with my brass quintet somewhere else, completely different music. I recall a day where I had three calls, we, we would say. I had a rehearsal in the morning for a Bach cantata and then I was asked to play the national anthem for some veterans on a cruise ship in Boston Harbor. And then in the evening, I was playing Shrek the Musical in Belmont. <laughs> so I would say that's something that's very exciting, being a freelancer and seeing all these different things and not going to the same place for work every day. Uh, it's luckily I haven't driven to the wrong school to teach because <laughs> I teach at three different locations, four different locations, I guess. And being around this area, as opposed to where I grew up, I feel like classical music is just, there's more of it going on in the Boston area. And one thing that I found kind of surprising is there's many adult choruses around Massachusetts that often call trumpeters to play Handel's Messiah or a bunch of other things. And that's just something that never happened to me in Michigan. Just kind of surprising. You just heard Quiet City by Aaron Copland, played by Ryan No Trumpet, his wife Caitlin No Bassoon, and Tai Kim Piano. The piece was originally scored for trumpet and English horn and has been arranged by the performers for trumpet and bassoon. This episode was edited by Frédéric Regulot, and next week Meet with Costa Rican jazz pianist Jose Soto, a faculty member of Powers Music School. For me, it's important is to understand that music or the art serves to society. It's, it's a response to what happens around us. Music is a means to for the betterment of society because with, with music you can have access to to the passion of people, right? Mm -hmm.